My name is James. I'm the teaching pastor here at Cape Bible Chapel. Let me start out by wishing you a Merry Christmas on behalf of the, the staff and the leadership here. We are so glad that you've come. Christmas is almost here, isn't it? Christmas Day is coming Thursday. But you know, the build-up to Christmas seems to start so much earlier and get bigger and louder just every year, right? Ornaments and lights and trees hit the retailers about November 1st. And so for some of us, actually making it to Christmas Day seems like a pretty long time coming, doesn't it? I used to work in retail. I did for 16 years. And I feel like I learned a whole lot during that time. But one of the things that I picked up, I eventually got passable at, pretty good at, was wrapping Christmas presents. Now, when I first started, I couldn't say that. You've got to start somewhere, right? When I first started, I don't know that I'd ever actually wrapped a present before. And if I had, it hadn't gone well, I know that. So, so I started this job at this sporting goods store, and I was expected to wrap Christmas presents. And by the time, you know, Christmas rolled around, I'd gotten a little better. I got to the point where I could wrap like a standard-sized shirt box. Still didn't look real good, but, but I could do it. And the problem I had, this was the biggest issue for me in wrapping, honestly, was estimating how much paper to use. It seemed like I'd mess it up every time. And you know, both ends of that spectrum are bad. If you get too much, then it's ridiculous. If you get too little, you end up with that little sliver of the box that shows in the back, and then you've got to kind of try and cut a piece of paper and, and get it to match the pattern, and it's all shiny with the tape. That doesn't work, does it? If you get to that spot, listen to me, start over. <laughs> it's going to be the best thing to do. So I would err on the other side, and I'd put the box in there, and I'd roll it around like six times to make sure <laughs> that I was going to have enough. I didn't want that little sliver. But then... Like all the boxes I wrapped looked like they were going to explode because you try and fold all that paper in and the corners are all puckered. It was just bad. It's a learning process for sure. But I was getting better. I was getting better. And so then Christmas Eve arrived. On Christmas Eve at that store where I worked, that's when the owner would do his Christmas shopping, which wasn't really shopping so much as he'd go to the lowliest of employees and say, hey, go get this and wrap it and put it in my office. And he came to me. And he said, hey, go get a case of tennis balls and wrap it and put it in my office. Now, the thing I had going for me was a case of tennis balls comes in a box already, so that was kind of nice, but it was a big box. It's a much bigger box than anything I'd ever wrapped before, but I gave it a shot. I wrapped it with a, an entire roll of Christmas wrapping paper. <laughs> and when I got done, I carried it back to his office, and I set it on his desk, and i got to be honest, it looked horrible. <laughs> It looked really, really bad. It looked like somebody had delivered it on a truck, but it had fallen off the truck, and somebody kicked it a few times, and it was just this mess. I set it in his office, and I left and sat around waiting to be fired. But then something amazing happened. It was a Christmas miracle. The owner had been out running some other errands, and so he came back to the store, and he was going to get his stuff and carried out, and I saw him go back to his office, and I was so scared, and he picks up this box, and he brings it out, and it was beautiful. Sharp corners, straight edges, pristine, lovely bow on the top. Somebody had gone in and salvaged the wreck that I'd made. I learned later it was my boss, sweet guy. I worked with him for 16 years. I think he liked me. He didn't want me to get fired on Christmas Eve. <laughs> and so he went in and he salvaged this mess that I'd made. Because it's hard, right, to estimate how much wrapping paper you're going to use. 
I didn't really know what I was doing. I was thinking about that word salvaged this week. I, that present was salvaged. And that's what we're going to talk about today, about needing help, about needing to be salvaged. One of the verses that we're going to look at explains what the Christmas story is truly all about. It's in Luke chapter 2, and verse 30. This is what we read. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Those words are spoken to God by a man named Simeon. He was holding the baby Jesus at the time. And Simeon does something that's truly incredible in this passage. It's something much tougher than estimating how much gift wrap to use. And there are things that are a lot tougher to predict, right? Try and predict the weather. Try and predict this year's Super Bowl winner. What Simeon does in this actual account is he holds a little baby boy who's less than one month old, and he predicts with incredible accuracy what's going to happen in the future of that child. So if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and grab it and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Luke is the third book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. If you don't have a Bible with you today, please feel free to use one of the ones in the pew there in front of you. We're actually going to have the verses up on the screen so you can follow along that way. We want you to do that. This is part of the Christmas story. It's just a part we don't hear very often. When we hear the Christmas story, it's always the usual suspects, right? It's the baby Jesus, it's Mary and Joseph, the wise men, the shepherds. Even the animals would make the cut before Simeon, right? They're always at the nativity scene. They get some press in the songs. The cattle are lowing. The ox and lamb keep time. All those before Simeon. In this passage, a guy named Simeon becomes part of the Christmas story. So let's jump in and see what role he plays with his incredible, his just spot-on prediction about what's going to happen through and because of Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 2. We'll start at verses 25 and 26. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, and he was looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. So Simeon's a righteous guy. He's a devout guy, and deep inside, he's an expectant guy. He knows there's more to come because of some promises from God's Word that he certainly would have been aware of. Before the Internet, before the printing press, there were, there were still copies of God's Word, not many of them, but there were, and there was oral tradition, and so people would spread the news of things that we can easily read in the Old Testament of our Bible. Things like Isaiah chapter 7, and verse 14, which tells us this, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. What's the sign? Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. It's what we talk about at Christmas. God is with us. Simeon knew that verse. He also knew a couple of chapters later, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 is what we saw at the start of that video. For unto us a child will be born, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of his peace. 
on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. This is what Simeon was expecting about. These were predictions, we call them prophecies from Isaiah, about how God was going to deal with his people in the future. We read there in Luke chapter 2, Simeon's righteous, he's devout, and he's waiting to see these prophecies fulfilled. He was expectant because he's looking for what he said there, the consolation of Israel. Consolation's a word can mean comfort or encouragement. And so that's Simeon. And at some point in time, we're not sure from this account, the Holy Spirit showed up. And he talked to Simeon. He told him, hey, you're not going to die. You won't die. You're not leaving this earth until you see Jesus Christ with your own eyes. You're going to get to see how God will fulfill that prophecy that he spoke through Isaiah. Now, just think practically here for a second, okay? This actually happened to Simeon. What would you do if it happened to you? What if the Holy Spirit showed up to you and told you, hey, something amazing is going to happen in your life. You're not going to die until you see this amazing thing. How would you wake up every morning? You'd wake up and step out of bed and go, Woo! Is it today? Is it going to happen? Is today the day you'd be that expectant, right? Isn't that what little kids do for Christmas? They count down the days and, and they're waiting and they're waiting and it gets closer and Christmas Day comes. Boom! They're expectant. All of God's chosen people had been waiting for a long time. God had instructed Isaiah to write these prophecies down, these and many others. I count for sure 16 prophecies in Isaiah that are fulfilled through the work and the life of Jesus Christ. And Isaiah recorded them about 700 years before we run into Simeon at the temple. Folks had been expectant. They were waiting for a Savior to come. And Simeon hears from the Holy Spirit, it's going to be soon. It's going to be soon. He's going to come in your lifetime before you die. And so he gets up every day pumped. So excited. Let's see what happened. Read verses 27 to 32 of Luke chapter 2. But I want to preview this real quickly. Holy Spirit somehow revealed to Simeon this incredible news. He's going to see the Lord's Christ. And in this next verse, we're going to see Holy Spirit shows up again. Holy Spirit shows up one more time for Simeon, and he tells him he's got to go somewhere, specifically to the temple. Now, don't you know that Simeon has got to be fired up here? Last time Holy Spirit shows up for him, he tells him, you're not going to die until you see Jesus. Now he shows up again and tells him someplace to go. You know what Simeon is thinking. Today's the day. I'm supposed to go to the temple. What am I going to see? This is the attitude that Simeon has. Verse 27. Simeon came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents, this is Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, when they brought in the child, Jesus, to carry out for him the custom of the law, Simeon runs over. He took the baby Jesus into his arms, and he blessed God, and he said, Now... All this waiting, all this expectation. Now, Lord, you're releasing your bondservant to die in peace. According to your word, 
for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. It's going to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. There in verse 30, Luke uses that word salvation. It's a big word. It's a loaded word. It's the Greek word soterion. The root of that is soter. And it means, get this, salvation. It means deliverance. It means Christ can save people. I love that. And the author, Luke, he loves it too. He loves this concept. He loves this word. He uses it a lot, almost 30 times in this gospel and its sequel, the book of Acts. Because Luke, just like me, is blown away by what it means. This baby boy that Simeon is holding, that he just made these wild predictions about, he's going to be the light of revelation to the people who don't know what's coming. They don't know the prophecies. They haven't been waiting. Jesus is going to be the light for them, and he's going to be the glory. He's going to be the fulfillment of the prophecies for those people who have been waiting expectantly. This little baby is going to grow to be a man, and not just a man. He's fully God and fully man. He's God incarnate, and he can save people. He can rescue people word that God has been pressing down on me all week, he can salvage people. Like my boss salvaged that horrible Christmas wrapping I did. He came in and he made it like new. I don't know that I'd spent a lot of time thinking about that word salvage before, but it's been so much on my heart this week. I looked it up in the online dictionary. I clicked the word origin. It said, save. I clicked the synonym link. It said, rescue. This is a good word. Salvage. Here's part of the definition. To save used, damaged, or rejected goods for recycling or further use. That's what Jesus can do. Anybody here that feels used or damaged or rejected sometimes? Well, then you've got to know God sent Jesus. Born as a baby, born to an unlikely mother, teenage virgin named Mary. It's his birthday we're celebrating at Christmas. He's the little baby that Simeon is holding. He's the one that God sent to save us, to rescue us, to salvage us. Let me share the rest of this definition I looked up. Salvage, to save from certain destruction. And that's what happens when we become Christ followers. We're salvaged from certain destruction. And in this passage in Luke 2, Simeon says, you can take me home now, God, because I've seen it. In verse 31, he says, it's a salvation that's available for whom? Everybody. All peoples, it says. Do you know what that does? Now there's nobody in this room, there's nobody on this planet who can say, well, it's not for me. No, <laughs> you're wrong. It is for you. Salvation has been prepared in the presence of all people. It is for you. It can benefit you. So here's the question then for today. Is your life messy? Do you feel like it's messed up? Oh, it's so messed up, and I'm the one who helped mess it up. Oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? I've made bad choices. I've had wrong relationships. I started down this sketchy path, and before I know it, it's a slippery slope, and I'm sliding. I can't stop. 
I love that scene in the movie The Christmas Story where Ralphie wants the official Red Rider BB gun. He finally gets his big shot to go ask for it, and he forgets the words, remember? He loses it. He can't get it out. And so he gets put on the big slide, and he starts to go down. And what happens? Do you remember? All of a sudden, he comes to his senses, and boom! Smacks his feet out, and he stops his descent. He turns, and he labors, and he climbs up to the top. Do you need some help? Stopping your free fall? You think you're on the way down? And I just don't know. It's too hard to work. I need help getting back up to the top. You need to be salvaged. Does your, does your life look like that case of tennis balls I wrapped 30 years ago this week? Would a little salvaging really benefit you this Christmas? Well, then I want to encourage you. I want to say you're in the right place. You feel like you need to be rescued. That's why Jesus came. That's what we're talking about today. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what Simeon is predicting while he's holding this little baby. This child's going to grow, and he's going to be the offer of salvation for all people. He will be the light of the world. This is an incredible prediction. Look at how Simeon's words are received by the baby's parents, Mary and Joseph. Verse 33, his father and mother were amazed the things which were being said about him. We like it when people say nice things about our children, right? It's really lovely if somebody comes up and says sweet things, but this is over the top news. What a wonderful prediction for Mary and Joseph. But then look what happens next. Simeon blesses him. He pulls Mary aside. He's got a special prediction just for her. Verse 34 and 35. Simeon blessed both of them. Then he pulled Mary aside, said to his mother, Here, here's another incredible prediction. This one not quite as nice, I guess. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. It's appointed for a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. I'd like to predict that my boy Trace will become a professional baseball player. I'd like to throw that out there. I'd like to predict that my daughter Macy won't date till she's 30. Those are nice-sounding predictions, right? Maybe not so nice for Macy. <laughs> Simeon pulls Mary aside, and he says this, your boy's going to be divisive. Because of your baby, there's only going to be two options moving forward. You can choose. You ready? Rise or fall. That's it. What happens when we fall? A lot of the time, it's because we trip over something, right? Simeon's predicting a lot of people are going to trip over your baby boy here. They're not going to understand who he is. They're not going to understand why he came to salvage people back to God. They won't get it. The offer of salvation will be right before them, and they won't see it. They're going to trip over Jesus. This happens, right? You ask somebody, do you need saving? What do they say? Bah, humbug. I don't need it. Do we understand that's one of the necessities of being saved is that we'd recognize we need it? I think maybe the most common usage of the word salvage today is in the auto industry. Does anybody salvage bright, shiny, brand new cars? Not a lot of business there, is there? What do we salvage? We salvage cars that have been in a wreck. We salvage cars that have been destroyed. We salvage cars that are a mess. 
And that car now is headed towards certain destruction in that big machine that turns your car into a cube of twisted metal. But before it gets compacted, what do we ask? Anything we can salvage? Is there anything that's been damaged or rejected that we could recycle for further use? If there is, it doesn't go into the compactor. It gets lifted up. That's the other category. It's the other camp that Simeon mentions. Because of Jesus, we're either going to fall or we're going to rise. Those who come to Jesus humbly, they'll rise. They'll be lifted up. And those who trip and fall and then recognize their need for a Savior, they're also going to be lifted up. You want to see how accurate a prediction this is from Simeon? Flip over a few chapters to Luke chapter 23. While you're navigating there, let me tell you this. The baby Jesus grew to be a man. He lived a perfect, sinless life on this earth, and he was opposed, as Simeon said. He was persecuted. He was sentenced to death for telling the truth. He was crucified on the cross, and there he took the wrath of my sin and your sin, all our sins, past, present, future. He died, and he was buried, and that's not the end of the story. And if he was a man, it would be, but he was not just a man. He was fully God, and he was fully man, and so he rose again. He conquered sin and death, and after his resurrection, he ascended into heaven to prepare a place for every person on this planet who will profess faith in him. God loves his creation so much that he sent his son to make this offer of salvation so that anyone who accepts God's grace and this gift, they can be recycled and put to further use. See, sin entered this world, and now we have a choice to make. Obey God or be selfish, and we've chosen selfishness. And since that time, we have been damaged. We have been messy, and we are destined for certain destruction unless, unless we recognize our need to be salvaged. Simeon predicted Jesus is going to be divisive. And the division he's talking about is that some will profess faith in Christ and they will rise, they'll be saved, and others will trip over Jesus and they will fall. They'll be eternally separated from God. They won't benefit from the offer of salvation that Simeon held in his hands as a baby. Now we see the illustration of this divide in Luke 23. Two robbers are crucified along with Jesus, one on his left, one on his right. And they provide the picture of this division in Luke 23, verses 39 to 43. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at Jesus saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal answered. And rebuking his buddy, he said, Do you not even fear God? Since you're under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed are suffering justly, for we're receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. This criminal was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, 
today you shall be with me in paradise. Jesus was opposed even on the cross. Mary was there watching her son's crucifixion. I wonder if she remembered those words Simeon said from over 30 years earlier when he predicted that a sword would pierce her soul. That's a heck of a sword. Simeon predicted that Jesus would be divisive with a purpose so that the thoughts from many hearts would be revealed. Revealed to whom, you might ask? To God. God sees hearts. Do you think you're hiding something from God deep down in your heart? You're not. Our hearts are an open book to God. He knows all our stuff. God knows our joys and our injustices. He knows our pride and our prejudice. He knows when we rationalize. He knows our racism. He knows our hopes. He knows our hypocrisy. He knows our dreams. He knows our desires. He knows our fears. He knows our failures. He knows our loves. He knows our lusts. He knows. God knows what we think about him. God is the one who will look into our hearts and make the decision about our eternal destiny. There will be one thing and one thing only that he's going to be looking for. And if you're tracking with me, if you realize there's a great divide for all mankind and some will rise and some will fall and you want to be in the group that rises... Do you want to know what God is looking for in your heart? The answer is Jesus Christ. It's that clear. Our hearts are revealed to God so that he can see if we have faith in Jesus. We can't have a neutral position about Jesus Christ. He is the dividing line. Now, I don't know why you're here today. I can't know. I don't get to see inside hearts. Maybe you're here at Christmas because it makes your family happy. Maybe it makes your spouse happy. Maybe you like getting dressed up and singing the songs. Maybe you're here because I invited a bunch of people on Facebook and Twitter. I said, hey, as a present to me, come and hear the Christmas story because I knew God wanted me to share the gospel. I don't know why you're here. But you're here. So let's not miss this opportunity to talk about who's going to rise and who's going to fall based on the accuracy of Simeon's prediction, based on the journey of Jesus Christ to the cross so that he can salvage people. And please hear me on this. Please listen. This is not me judging anybody. This is not me judging you. This is me sharing Simeon's prediction came true. And so now professing faith in Jesus is the dividing line. This is me just sharing God's word with you through Luke's pen. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 21, he records Peter's words, and he says, It shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You remember what Simeon said. His eyes had seen the salvation that was in the presence of all peoples. You don't have to take my word for it. You don't have to take Simeon's or Luke's or Peter's. The apostle Paul says the same thing. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. In the Old Testament, the prophet Joel, he was just as good at predictions as Simeon was. He says the same thing in Joel chapter 2 and verse 32. Do you need to be salvaged? Profess faith in Jesus. So if you're here 
And your take is, well, I'm just here. I don't believe any of that stuff you're talking about. And God knows your heart. And here's what I'm praying. I'm praying you're going to trip and fall. And I'm praying you're going to fall hard. I'm going to pray that you're going to fall so hard that you will recognize the need to be lifted up. That's not mean-spirited, I promise. Those of you who know me, I want to pray that way because it's only people who recognize the need to respond that will be saved. And so sometimes we got to fall. And we got to fall hard. And we have to hit rock bottom before we'll realize there's a divide there. And then we'll realize which side we're on. I don't know how you showed up today. There could be a lot of things. If you're here and you say, well, I think God exists. But all this talk about Jesus being the path to salvation, man, that's too much. If that's your take, you're also in the fall category. You need to recognize your need to be saved. Maybe you're here and you think, well, I believe Jesus was a real guy. He was a prophet. It's like a bunch of other prophets. I'm sure he was really wise, just like the other guys. If that's what you believe, you're in the fall category. If you're here and you say, well, I think Jesus was a great teacher. I'm sure we could learn a lot from imitating him. That's a fall. I think Jesus was a good man, but not God. Fall. I think Jesus was God, but he didn't die on the cross. Fall. I think Jesus was God, and he died, and he rose again, but it's all history. I don't see how it really impacts anyone's life today. You will fall. I want to love you enough this Christmas to speak the truth in love. Eternal life is on the line. Jesus is the line. Will you trust and rise? Or will you fall? Because Simeon's prediction is 100% accurate. Christmas is Thursday. I already know what I'm getting. I didn't peek, I promise. I already know what I'm getting because I went and picked it out and bought it. That's one way to know for sure, isn't it? Last week, after 24 years of going strong, my washing machine finally quit. So Christine and I decided that'll be our gift to one another this year. It's not terribly romantic, I know. But it is terribly practical because my wife washes like 14 loads of clothes a day. So, And we don't have it yet. Hadn't been delivered. Hoping that comes tomorrow. But here's the thing about my Christmas gift. I will truly only receive the benefits of having a new washing machine if I bring it into my house and set it in the laundry closet and attach the hoses and plug it in and put dirty clothes in it and wash them, right? If I bring my new washing machine in and it becomes the world's largest doorstop, the world's heaviest paperweight, if I bring my new washing machine in and I put it at the end of the couch and I pretend it's an end table, I'm not allowing the washer to function in the way that it was designed and purpose to function. You may not know what you're getting this year. That's fine. Probably a case of tennis balls under the tree for you. Whatever it is, whatever it is, I bet there's a gift somewhere for you. Shiny paper, beautiful bow, gift tag with your name on it. Let me just tell you this right now. If you'd walk out of this service today and go home and stare at that gift until Christmas Day comes. If you think about the gift and consider the gift and evaluate the wrapping and, and maybe even pick it up and shake it, you can do all those things. But if you never open the gift, 
It's not yours. You won't benefit from it. Whatever the purpose and design of your gift, you honestly may not even as well know about it if you're not going to open it. Why am I telling you this? Here's why. You can believe a lot of things about Jesus. But if you don't personally trust Him, you don't place your faith in Him for salvation, then it's like getting a brand new washing machine and never putting any clothes in it. But, if you come to Jesus and you say, I believe in you. I believe in all the things about you. God became a man. That God-man died and was buried and he rose again in order to conquer sin and death. He established a kingdom that will last forever and he's come to salvage me and take me there. That's the message of Christmas. Our lives are messy. We're headed for certain destruction on our own so somebody has got to come in and salvage this mess. I'm standing here before you today because 20 years ago, after running all my ideas past God, after He saw my heart, all the things I thought about Jesus, all the ways I was trying to rescue myself and save myself and make myself happy, I finally gave up. gave up and I put out my hands and I, I received a gift and I opened it and it was Jesus. It's a personal relationship with the God who came to salvage me. He came to save used, damaged, rejected goods for further use. So here I am. And every week before I walk out on this stage, stand here in front of you, pray that God would continue to use me. You want to be salvaged today? You can be. Maybe the Holy Spirit drew you here today the same way he drew Simeon to the temple, and you're here today to profess that you know Jesus Christ is the dividing line for all eternity. You know that believing in him will determine whether you rise or whether you fall. And you're here today to admit you can't rise on your own. Life is messy. And often we make more of a mess of it and we need somebody to come in and rescue us. And today, we celebrate Christmas. This is the day that you're going to come and ask Jesus to do that for you right here, right now. We want to give you that opportunity so we're going to take communion together. When we observe this ordinance, the Bible tells us that we have the opportunity to examine our hearts and confess our sins and be right with God. And let me tell you, that works across the board. If you're here as a Christ follower, that's what I want you to do right now. Examine your heart, confess your sin, be right with God. Come and take the elements that are on the tables all around the room. We're going to have some music, some time of response, and you're going to be able to say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for sending your son. It's him we remember symbolically with the elements. Thank you for salvaging me, for rescuing me. If you're a Christ follower, this is the Lord's Supper. It's for you. Come and do that. But here's the deal. If you're here today and you're not a Christ follower, 
then in this time, I'm praying that what you're going to realize is, I need to be rescued. I need to be salvaged. And God has sent His Son Jesus to do just that. And so I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to pray for the bread and the cup. Thank you for being here with us to celebrate Christmas. It's all about God salvaging us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for the bread and the cup, the opportunity to symbolically remember your son going to the cross, defeating sin and death, establishing your kingdom, and you want us to be there. For all who are called, for all who profess faith, we will rise and be with you. God, help us to never stray too far from the true Christmas story. You've come to salvage us, to help us, because we can't salvage ourselves. God, we give this service to you. We give our lives to you. We love you so much. We ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen.